Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. All right, good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, please, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of his vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank, They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you food and your drink, for why should he see you were in worse condition than the youths who are of, their, of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, and Ananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our parents and the parents of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter, (coughs) sorry, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate at the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together. We're grateful for a place to worship. We're grateful for um, the freedom to worship. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again. Um, Welcome. If you're new here, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. I'm starting to see more students come back from their holidays, so welcome back, you guys. It's nice to have you back. Um, We, for the last three weeks, we have been going through just kind of a vision series for the church, and I know it's a little bit different. 
Um, we've covered, the first week we covered the mission of the church, and basically the way that I describe it is the mission of the church, a Bible-teaching, God-honoring, Jesus, gospel-loving church, it should be the same regardless of what church you go to. And we said that is to make disciples of Jesus. We're given that command by Jesus himself. And then last week we talked about vision, that vision can change based upon the church, uh, the local body that you're a part of, and and I kind of challenged you to say you're looking for, as you're looking for a good Bible teaching church, you want one that's on biblical mission, but you're also looking for one that, that you can get on board with the vision that they're casting. And so we went through John 4 last week, and we talked about the story of the woman at the well and, and all of the things, the barriers that Jesus broke to have a conversation that he wasn't supposed to be having with a person that he's not supposed to be having a conversation with and how lives changed as a result. And um, I'm hoping that this past week, as you processed that, there was both some joy and conviction as we look at what the Lord has allowed us to do these past almost 11 years at Church of the Well in East Boston. And then today we're going to talk about conviction. And this is an interesting one. Like, I've been thinking about this. Like, if you, if you, as a church planter, what happens is oftentimes you kind of tie yourselves to maybe different organizations or groups or networks that we call them, and they'll kind of walk you through, like, okay, if you're going to plant a church, this is what you need. This is what needs to be on your website. This is what ha- how you kind of have to articulate things and so that everybody kind of gets a vision. And one of those things used to be um, you need to have and express the convictions of your church. And as I was processing that, I thought, you know, it's interesting. Um, convictions are personal, right? So it's hard at times to go, the church is a group of individuals, a, a body of believers that profess Jesus as Lord, coming together collectively to say, we're going to be on mission together, we're going to hold each other accountable to live a life as a Christ follower. We're going to follow the vision of the church that in this local context that we're living in, and the convictions that we have to accomplish that are being dictated kind of by this church. And that's really interesting when you think about it. And so one of the things that I was starting to like kind of relook at our convictions as a church, and I said, well, every conviction that we express as a church, all five of them, and we have more than that, but five, are biblical. And I thought, well, that makes sense because this should be the conviction, I guess, of every single Christ follower at some point. And so as we go through this, one of the things I want you to process through is what are you convicted of? We'll define what that means. And how do your personal convictions as either a member or a regular tender of Church at the Well, or if you're just visiting and you're going, what is Church at the Well about? Or how do I make, you know, how do I see these convictions come out in my life? What is it that you're convicted about? And does it fit into the biblical category of saying, hey, this is actually a Christ-honoring conviction? Because what I've learned in my life is there are things that I get convicted about that aren't biblical. Um, and that's, that's a problem. Um, so what is a conviction? A conviction is... Well, I'll define it this way. It's, an, it's a belief that's held so deeply that it necessarily leads to action. Okay? So a conviction is a belief that's held so intently or dearly that it necessarily results in action. 
And so as I was processing this week, I was trying to go, well, what are my convictions? Because I have a lot of beliefs. But what are my convictions? My convictions are, I can tell you what my convictions are based upon how my week went and what I actually acted on. Right? So the decisions that I made, the, thing, the action that went on in my life, the conversations that I had, the things that I prioritized, that tells me what my convictions are. And then oftentimes I'm having to, to, to look and, and say, is, are, are, are the convictions that I have, did, did the week that I just live actually fall into line with what I'm saying my convictions are, or are there other things, are, are there other beliefs that maybe aren't convictions, but I'm putting into in a category where all of my actions are actually revolving around something that doesn't really matter. And I, I kind of went through this process this week just thinking, you know, what is it? I think one of the things about convictions is it, also, it doesn't just help us say yes, it also helps us say no. Um, the reality of church life you want to call it gospel living in a city like Boston is that there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, if you come and plant a church here or you just want to live on mission here, you're going to have more opportunity than you have people or resources to accomplish. That's just reality. There's, there's so many good things that could be done. We could, we could just spend our entire time just going, what are we going to do about a specific issue in the community and say, we're going to be about that. And it would probably take our entire lifetime to potentially fix some of the issues that we see. And we say that that's going to be our conviction. There's so many things to do. And what I'm, what I, my personality, if you know me at all, is, okay, there's the mountain, we need to climb the mountain, plant the flag, and then my personality is I'm looking for the next mountain to climb. And in order to do that successfully, what has to happen is I have to climb the mountain with an army, and then I have to leave people on that mountain to, to, to make sure that the, the land or this mountain that we've taken remains taken so we don't lose it when we move on to the next mountain. But here's the problem with that personality, so I'm telling you my issues here. Um, <laughs> that type of personality can look to conquer so many mountains that you end up conquering none. Right? And so the important component of the convictions of a church are to make sure that somebody like me doesn't get so distracted with all of the other opportunities and mountains that we become completely ineffective in busyness. I have a reputation of saying yes. Okay, now let me explain that. I'm not a pushover. Um, it, you're not going to be able to just come and convince me of something. But I have a reputation of if somebody needs help, then I typically say yes. I, this has been a contention in my marriage for a long time. And I've gotten better, right? Um, but when I was younger, I, I, you know, I don't know what is, is in me that just goes, okay, I want to help, I want to help, I want to help, yes, 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 yes. And what I found in my life experience is that as I kept saying yes and helping more and more, attempting to help more and more people, 
those, these new mountains, I was crumbling the mountains that I was supposed to be stewarding, and it was creating problems. And what I realized is that my convictions don't really seem to be very well defined. Like, I can't act on everything. I can't do everything. And neither can you. But what's interesting about, as we look at the convictions of a church, the, the body of Christ is supposed to come together in these local contexts and use their gifts, their, their spiritual gifts they've been given, the natural talents they've been given, the biblical convictions that they've been given, and, and unite together so that more can get accomplished and more mountains can be conquered for Jesus. But I, I think that, in, especially in the American church, what we've seen historically is that because the church tends to fall into kind of an entertainment category, that ultimately people become, look at the body of Christ and their time in a church like a consumer instead of a participant. Feed me, clothe me, encourage me, entertain me, help me, and then I kind of do my life over here, right? And that's kind of been in the last, since I've at least been alive in the, the American church that I've observed, and maybe it's just not in the United States, that just seems to be a trend. And I will tell you, as a young, as a young man, I was part of that, right? The expectations that I put placed upon the church were to do all of the work. So I would look at the pastor and say, well, you just need to work harder, because you're not providing what it is that I need specifically. For those of you who have children, um, this analogy I think will work. You're, you're going to find, like there's some Clementis. I'm looking at Tony and I'm going, okay, five kids, right? And if you know his children, they all have different personalities, different needs, different gifts. Can you imagine, I mean, as a father, it's difficult at times to say, okay, this is what each one of my children need, and there's, in his case, five of them here, and I'm trying to do everything I can. Now, take that analogy to the church and try to imagine leading all of the people and the desires that they have for the church to accomplish. It's impossible. And what we see is burnout, problems, because the church continues to keep saying yes to really good things. But there's only so much bandwidth in a day. So I said all of that to say I think in this, in this story that I read earlier, there's an example of conviction so that we can really understand what conviction is and what it's not. And then I want to go over the convictions of church at the well so that you understand two things. One, how every decision that Church at the Well makes and what we participate in is filtered through. So you'll understand, you might go, oh, that's why when I came to Pastor Kevin or Pastor Matt or whoever with this idea, they said, no, that's really good. Like, go do that. But we can't. So you'll understand the filter that 
that we're going through. And then you're going to help me over time as we look at all of the other things that we're doing to eliminate so that we can focus on the things that we feel the Holy Spirit's asking us as a church to do. The reason I do this, I, I, every year I've kind of done a vision series for Church at the Well, and I, I picture it like um, your home. If you've ever, you don't even have to own a home, right? But when you move into a new place or an apartment, it's, well, not always in East Boston, but typically it's clean, <laughs> right? And stuff works. And you walk in, and it doesn't have a new car smell because it smells like the funk of the person before, but it has a smell, right? And you go, okay, there's a, there's a canvas here, creativity, and, and most of us will go um, something like, I'm going to make this thing look good or whatever it is. I'm going to make it functional for my living. And then as the years progress, Christy and I will often look at each other, and you'll do the same thing and go, how did we end up with so much stuff, Right? And so then there becomes this, this shedding of things, you purging, right? It's like, man, there's too much stuff in this house. I don't even know how it all got here. And I don't know how that happens. It's life. You know, everything just moves into the house, and it just gets thrown somewhere, and you probably have a junk drawer where it's like, well, people are coming over, so we'll just throw everything in that drawer, and then it never gets cleaned out, right? That's kind of what the vision series is supposed to do. It's supposed to help us clean out some of the things that maybe we've been distracted by and get us all back on the same page. So I'm hoping it does that today. Um, let's talk about this passage in Daniel. Most of you who maybe you haven't been raised in church world or maybe you're new to the faith, you've probably heard about Daniel. He was the guy in the lion's den, right? We all know this story as kids. You don't even have to necessarily read scripture. There's depictions of it in cartoons, right? Like, I remember being a kid and watching, like, Tom and Jerry, and I'm dating myself, Tom and Jerry, which was a cat and a mouse, for those of you who don't know, and they were, they were basically antagonists with each other, and I remember them doing, like, a depiction of Daniel in the lion's den, so I knew the story, even if, I mean, it was just always there. It's an interesting story. Daniel, when we, when we look at this, this narrative in Daniel chapter 1, what we see is that there's some radical things that are transpiring, and there's some things in here that theologically are difficult for us to grasp, and maybe we don't even want to. So if you go to verse 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I'm not going to read this whole thing again, but I want you to understand, like picture the movie version. Babylon has come and besieged God's people. And it says in this passage that God allowed it to happen. Now, we know that in history, the reason that it happened is that God warned his people and said, if you continue to act the way that you're going to act and you continue to not serve me, I'm going to send armies in that are conquer you so that it draws you back to me. Basically, I'm going to put you in a, in a position where you will find yourself at your lowest point begging for my salvation again. This is practical. There's moments in our life where I feel like the Lord puts us in a place where we feel like we're in a pit, in a hole, on a snowy day, and our only option is to look up and beg for God's help. And you wonder sometimes what would have happened if we would have focused on him from the beginning. But then there's other times, like if we go to John chapter 15 where Jesus is teaching about pruning, 
one of the things that, that we as Christ followers don't like is that oftentimes the Lord will take something that's healthy and working and choose to prune it anyway. If you know anything about gardening, which I don't, my wife does, if you have like a bunch of fruit growing on a tree and you prune it correctly, meaning you're cutting it back, the next year you will actually get more fruit. So I think there's moments, and I, I know historically this isn't one of those moments, but when I say there's things in here we don't like, we don't like the idea that God would actually ask us to accept pain in our life for his good. But there's a couple of reasons that can happen. One, it can be our own decisions. There's ramifications for sin. There's ramifications for bad decisions. So we can, I mean, it's interesting, even in my own life, oftentimes I'll make a decision and then I'll suffer the ramifications for it and then I blame God for the ramifications. I'm like, this is, this is juvenile that I would even do this, but I do it. And then there's other things in my life where literally things are going well, right? Like, I, last week, I kind of put, subjected myself to an opportunity to get pruned, right? Where I, I, I put myself in a position where there were five other people in the room and I was in the hot seat and for two days, they just went after me. And it was hard and difficult. But one of the things that they kept reminding me is there are moments in our life when things are good. You're, you're even being obedient and you're seeing fruit. You're, you're, you're pushing forward. You're, you're, you're sacrificing. You're denying daily. You're doing what it is that you do. But the Lord will still stop and say, I'm going to prune you so that your future even has more fruit than you've experienced now. And uh, humanistically, we don't like this. But as we process it, we go, wow, what a gift. So we have this situation where this other country, Babylon, has come in and besieged, <laughs> I love that word, has besieged God's people. And then it says there's a plan, this this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this plan where he is going to take the best of the best. Top gun. Okay? So he's looking at, like, as my lieutenants go into these lands that we're conquering, I want you to find the best looking, the smartest, the most talented, those youths that have the greatest potential, and I want you to grab them, and I want you to kidnap them and bring them to my palace and we are going to basically strip this entire culture of its top people and we're going to indoctrinate them into the way of Babylon smart I mean this is I mean from a, a military perspective if you're attempting to overtake a culture this is a good way to do it once again relevant we live in a city that, I think a couple weeks ago, I, I reminded you, that's called the Athens of America. There's over 100 universities that are in the greater Boston area, right? It's an educated city. We, it's, it's strategic to think. I, I don't know if I told you guys, but you know 25% of the world's leaders are educated in Boston? Sorry, that's just fascinating to me. 
25% of the world's leaders are educated in the city of Boston. And I, looking at that mountain, I think, this isn't a bad strategy. What would happen if there was such change in Boston through the local churches that proclaimed the gospel that a leader of a country who was sent here for an education actually came to know Jesus? And what would happen as he went back to where he was going to lead, that gospel went with him. It's, it's a similar strategy here. It's smart. It's, 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 it's a very good strategy to attempt to influence the influencers. Right? And so he has this desire to say, we're going to make them, he, they call it, the, the way of the Chaldeans that was kind of their, their people group. We're going to teach them what it's like to be a, a Babylonian. And we're going to indoctrinate them into the system. So we're going to give them, these youths, the, the best food and the best wine and put them under our greatest training program. So TB12 comes in or whatever it is. And we're going to help these individuals become like great leaders in Babylon. And then we have, as we keep moving through the story, we, we get to verse 8, and it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Um, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Here's the way I process this, and before we get to like what this means, there's a lot of people there's a lot of these youths that are now in the king's training program, internship, whatever you want to call it. And it's, I don't know who else may have been convicted not to defile themselves, but according to scripture, it looks like Daniel was the one that was convicted to say this internship that we have been forced into isn't accurate. It's, it's beginning to push against the things that I know to be true in my own beliefs and convictions. And though it's really easy to say, wow, look at, yeah, I mean, hey, it happened. We've been conquered. Like, wh what do we do? There's nothing we can do to fight Babylon, so let's make the best out of a terrible situation. And, I will, and I've been placed in this privileged position by Babylonian standards to be in this place where I'm going to learn a new culture and, and be an impactful individual and probably make a lot of money and, and, and still remain you know, this individual that's important and, and leave a legacy and whatever it is that we tell ourselves, right? Not necessarily bad stuff. And I think as Daniel's looking at what's going on around him, he says that he resolved that he would not defile himself. Why Daniel? There was something about Daniel, and we know there's obviously evidence of the Holy Spirit here moving in Daniel's heart. But Daniel stands up and says, I have this resolve. Another word would be a conviction that I believe so deeply that it's necessitating action. And there's, 
there's an injustice that's happening and I'm being asked to do something that would go against that conviction. So instead of engaging it, I'm going to look at the situation and say, how do I get around this? Now here's what's fascinating to me. Based on your personality, if you were Daniel in this situation, you might respond a little bit differently. Right? So, I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that somebody else may have had a similar conviction and instead of coming up with a way to um, allow God to move in particular ways, they went, let's have a rebellion. Let's turn the tables over. Let's have a sit-in. Let's refuse. Let's get really angry about the situation and cause a big stink. Let's fight back. And I know that there's moments where that is absolutely necessary, but I find it fascinating that the wisdom of the Lord in Daniel's heart in this is you have, there's an injustice that's happening and, and I'm convicting you to do something about it, but we're going to be wise in this conviction. This goes back to, it, it's not enough sometimes to be convicted. How you employ that action matters. You can be convicted to spread the gospel of Jesus in the city of Boston, and that can lead you to grab a bullhorn and stand on a corner and scream at people that need to repent. Now, I'm telling you, that's a method, okay? But it's probably not going to be all that relation building. It's very rare that I see an individual who's doing that actually have people around him going, oh, tell me about that right? So there's wisdom in how we employ our convictions. And when we look at Daniel, I find it fascinating that he's, he's willing to kind of test it. To, my conviction is so grounded in truth that I know that the Lord's going to show up because it is his truth. And when he does, there's going to be no option but for this, what I want to occur, to occur, right? Now, what's really the big issue here? Um, I, I actually went to a church once where the pastor preached this passage and then said, this is why we all have to be vegetarians, okay? And so, obviously, that's out of context a little bit. Um, if you're a vegetarian, awesome, okay? Do your thing. But that's not what this is, okay? There's also another passage in Scripture that says those who eat only vegetables are weak. Is that a, is that a, a passage against vegetables? no. <laughs> Okay, out of context as well. So let's not go there. What we're looking at here is what is the issue that Daniel's really dealing with? Now I'm going to give you some historical things and some other things, okay? Historically, because I nerd out on this stuff, if you look at the food in Babylon, especially the king's food, and you look at historical documents, it's really pretty clear that their food and wine was lightly drugged. This was a thing that Babylon just did. They just, the king would pack his food with some sort of something that would get him high. And the idea, if you know anything about Babylon, you know that, that it was about I am and there is no other, so I'm wanting to constantly feel good and eating makes me feel good and how can I increase the pleasure of eating? Well, let's eat and get high. And I don't know what drug it was. I mean, we can, I don't remember the name of it. We can go back and look. But there's something that was in potentially, historically, in the food that Daniel goes, that 
is not what I want to do, right? I know everybody's doing that. I know everybody's eating the hash brownie. I get it. But, like, I don't think this is the best way for me to go in this situation, okay? So, we know Scripture talks about um, not giving ourselves over and giving our mind control of a substance or um, putting us in a position where we're not even able to think for ourselves. Um, I don't need to get into this. You guys understand what I'm saying. So that's one issue. I think Daniel's probably looking at this and going, well, if I indoctrinate myself into this and if, I, if we eat this food, then we're not even going to be able to think properly. It's, this is going to be a way for them to indoctrinate us even quicker. And then I'm sure there's some historical like dietary restrictions that many of these guys that came from religious families um, had been taught. Okay, we're, remember, we're under the, the old covenant and there's dietary restrictions and there's certain things that I'm supposed to live by and, and I, that is against what I believe the Lord is asking me to do. And then there's the whole thing of just saying no. Like, have you ever been in a situation? <laughs> I don't, did you guys ever watch Seinfeld? This is so out, out there. I don't know why this popped into my head. There's an episode where George is dating this woman. Right? I can't believe I'm doing this. And George is dating this woman, and he, he's like, She's doing every, like, she, everything she said he just did, and he's like, I have no hand. Like, I, I need, like, I have, there's no, like, there's, n I have no ability to do anything, and all he was looking to do the whole episode is I just want one thing that I can say that I'm in charge of in this relationship, right? So, you can kind of take that analogy and go, that could be part of Daniel's, he can't fight the Babylonians on his own, but what he can do is begin to chip away at it. What if I had a small victory here? What if in the midst of a culture that I, I can't necessarily impact on my own, I can't fight them, they, they've conquered us here, I find myself in this position, what if in small ways I began to influence and bring God into the picture? And if you look, that's kind of what he does. So he goes to the guy that's feeding him, and he's like, hey, let's do this for 10 days in wisdom. He doesn't throw a fit. I don't know what would have happened if the guy said no, but he follows this conviction, this, this thing that, we'll use the word in Scripture, resolved Daniel that he was going to do. And it works. It turns out pretty good. And then you can keep reading. Like, I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter for you. You're like, thank you. You can keep reading and see Daniel's impact. You can also keep reading, and if you've grown up in church world, you know that Veggie Tales, you know, took Rack Shack and Benny here and give you an understanding of, like, the other three guys that are in the story and how they took the conviction, Daniel's conviction, and, and that model and how they used that conviction later on in the chapter, in the, sorry, in the, in the book, right? This fiery furnace idea. Um, I keep coming back to why Daniel. Like I, every one of these individuals that walked into this situation had beliefs. 
but it was Daniel whose belief went beyond just a belief to a point of conviction to where when it was pushed, he had to act. It was necessary. The convictions that you have are these things where if it doesn't happen and you can't act on it, there's something inside of you that will die. That's a conviction. Like I said, I think Daniel had a lot of beliefs I have a lot of beliefs. You have a lot of beliefs. I believe that, I believe that everybody in the, in the world should get to eat. I believe that. I think that that's a good thing. I think that we should feed everyone. I think that that's a, a human thing that should always be present. And I do my part sometimes. Last night, I bought a guy a cup of coffee because he was freezing as we were walking back from a show. And... Um, we chatted for a moment. There's these little things that we'll do. I, you know, my family knows that if anybody ever asks for food, I'm always going to give it to them, so on and so forth. But that's little stuff. I will say this. I'm not so convicted by it that my life is being dictated by it. I believe it, and I might participate in a little bit, but my life isn't going. My conviction as I sit here and breathe, is to make sure that every single person on this planet has food. Some people, that's their conviction. And every decision that they make revolves around that. So, before we move on and talk about like church convictions, I want you to process Daniel. Like, okay, you sh- I don't think that it's possible to have a bunch of convictions in your life, like true convictions, right? I think I'm younger Kevin is probably the, the example of trying to accomplish too many things that you thought were convictions and being wrong. Conquer, 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 conquer. Plant the flag, plant the flag, plant the flag. So as you look at like Daniel, and obviously he had this moment where it said he was so resolved he had to do it. Like what is that in your life? What's that conviction? And if you're not sure, I, I will go back to, like, what are you putting your actions in? Like, what necessitates action? What do you believe so deeply that if you don't act, it'll just eat at you? And identify that or those things. And then ask yourself, does it fit into Scripture? Because there are things that I can be convicted of and completely remove the gospel from. <laughs> I, am, I am feeling so convicted that that guy that, that dishonored me needs to be beaten to death. <laughs> right? That obviously would be a bad conviction. Um, and I don't even know that we'd define it as conviction because I think it would be more probably based on just pure emotion. What is it that drives at your soul? And if you don't know, I'd encourage you, this is a source of prayer. As a Christ follower, what we can do, like, people will say, oh, I don't know my spiritual gift. And, and people have, oh, take a spiritual gifts test. And I'm like, okay, that's great, fine. God uses people to create tools to help us understand ourselves. Great. But what I find fascinating is that if you really want to know who you are and why you're here and you know Jesus, 
it makes more sense to go to the Creator. Lord, you have created me and you have saved me and you have placed me where I am. What are you asking me to do? I had a guy last week, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to structure my life to do nothing except what I feel the Holy Spirit telling me to do. And I'm like, I'm going to process that for a minute. And my, my apprehension to that is not theological. My apprehension to that is oftentimes I believe that people say, I need to pray about something that they've already been told to do. And then they use the Holy Spirit as an excuse. Right? Let me pray about that. Well, you don't really need to pray about that because the answer's already given to you. Right? Well, let me pray about talking about to my neighbor about Jesus. Well, you don't need to pray about that. You may need to pray about the Lord providing you an opportunity. You may need to pray about what wisdom would look like in your methodology, but we don't have to pray about whether or not we're supposed to do it, right? But one of the things that he said in that is I thought, if I were to look at my life and I say, the decisions that I make, the things that I do on a daily basis, how often am I actually consulting the Holy Spirit? Or am I just doing what I do? I just kind of get into the, the rhythm of life, and it's just, hey, yeah, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm doing good stuff, but is this actually what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, what is the Holy Spirit saying? I think that's where we really get our convictions. If our convictions aren't coming, I'm, I'm scared for myself because I know myself, but if my convictions aren't coming from the Holy Spirit, from from a true desire to understand and live out the gospel obediently, then my concern is that I'm going to take control of my life when I'm supposed to give it away. And my concern is that I could do, I could spend my life doing good things and miss maybe what would have been better. I had a mentor once say, Kevin, you're going to have a tendency for the rest of your life to allow better to rob you of best because of your personality. And I'm like, I don't like hearing that, but I understand it. So as we look at the convictions, I, you know, and once again, hard, the elders of Church at the Well have come up with these convictions to say, based upon the mission and the vision that we've been given, we believe that these five convictions need to be the filter by which we bring everything through. So let's go over these real quick. The first one is to make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. Church at the well, we have a high Christology. Everything that we do and want to do and desire to do is to see Jesus glorified. It's all about Jesus, King Jesus, who sits on the throne, who lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we deserved three days later, conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and now we live in this moment of obedience in history between the first coming of Jesus and awaiting the second. Everything is about Him. 
And you go, okay, how does this work as a filter? Well, if it's not about Jesus, we need to say no. It has to be about Jesus. Is, is this pushing people to Jesus? Is this forcing us to live a life that glorifies Jesus? Is this, is this bringing attention to the, our Savior? Or is this bringing attention to me? Is this fulfilling an internal desire? Is this doing a checkbox? It has to be about Jesus. Because if it's not about Jesus, we're wasting time. This is a personal conviction. There's things, you know, as we, as we look at our, our sanctification process, it's, sanctification literally means just being set aside. So it's, it's literally becoming more like Jesus. We, we all, I have these stupid little sayings that I say all the time. One of them is, I want to wake, I want to go to bed tonight knowing Jesus better than I woke up. Like, that's my goal every day. And some days I fail at it miserably. And other times I, I think I succeed. And typically in succeeding it as I know him better, I'm going, wow, I've got work to do. It, it has to be about Jesus. Some of you know my story. I mean, own businesses in California that were decently successful, and at a young age, I felt like I had kind of accomplished everything that I had dreamed of. And then I was bored. And Christy and I went on this journey of, who is Jesus? And I know my life isn't revolving around him, and I remember, I've, I've shared this story before for some of you, where I remember somebody saying, Jesus is my best friend, and I thought, well, that is really pathetic. What do you mean Jesus is your best friend? That, you must not have any friends, right? Because only losers say that Jesus is my best friend. And so we went on this journey of going, what does this mean? What does it mean to live a life that is all about Jesus? And I came to a couple conclusions. These were some of my convictions. They're not going to be everybody's. But I said, I've accepted a gift of eternal life from my Savior and I'm extremely selfish to not give him the mere 50 years I have left. That made sense to me. Lord, I've been living for my, I, I literally have accepted a gift from you. I've been living for myself. That has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with me. And do I really believe what I believe that my eternity is secure in Christ if I'm living a life that doesn't represent that? That was a conviction of mine. And that changed the trajectory of everything, right? It has to be about Jesus. The moment that it's not, we have to stop. Um, next. So one, to make much of Jesus. Two, to stand on and live out biblical truth. I'm... I'm going to be, I, I try to be as real as I can in these moments. I'm going to acknowledge this is hard here. It is. Some of you are like, it's not, because you're really black and white. I was having a conversation um, 
yesterday, actually, and we were talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. It was a great, great conversation, and, and what, I, what we were trying to remember is, look, this is truth, and there is no contestation. This is truth. If it says it, it's truth, right? Our job is to try to take the black and white truth that's here and apply it in a world that is gray. And that can become very difficult. We live in a culture that not only will fight against you to speak and live out biblical truth, but they'll encourage you to do the opposite. They won't just push back. I think it was easier before. When I was growing up, you could stand on biblical truth, and it was like, oh, I don't agree with you. And then they would do these things like debates, right? And some of you that are older, you remember this stuff, where it was like, oh, this Christian professor and this, oh, humanistic professor are going to debate and you'd go to these debates and it'd be like oh this is so exciting it's not that simple anymore right because things happen and culture has changed so drastically and become so gray scripture says that there'll there'll be times when things that are bad will be called good and vice versa and that is we're living that i don't know that this is the worst time we've ever lived in the history but i'm just saying it's very gray and it's easy to give in. It's easy to say, I know what Scripture says, but. I, I'm going to tell you, living in a city like Boston and being a Christ follower is hard. It's hard. It would be easier to give in. It would be easier to compromise. It would be easier just to agree with the, the, the way the wind blows. But it's not truth. If Boston's going to, if a city like Boston is going to see a change, it's going to have to be from Jesus and it's going to have to be grounded in truth and that that fight is going to have to continue. It, it can't come from individuals coming in and saying, let's compromise here and there just a little so that we can make a difference. I think this is one of the, the it's seriously one of the hardest things to do. We do this in our lives all the time. We, well, I know that's truth, but that's not really what I want or that's not really what I want to do, or that's really hard, or that, I don't, I'm going to look weird if I do that. I'm going to be called uneducated. I'm going to look like I have some kind of, like, major crutch that I can't get past. But the reality is this. This is either truth or it's not. And if your faith in Christ is grounded on what's said in here, and then you begin to chip away at what's said in here, you're chipping away at your own faith anyway. How do you know what to believe and what you don't? There's, how does this work as a filter? Well, Church at the Well, we're saying, okay, is what we're attempting to do grounded in the truth of God's word? Is it enhancing that truth? 
Or is it compromising or hiding the truth? It has to be grounded in truth. Three, to make and equip disciples of Jesus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I spent a whole day talking about this on the mission of the church. But it's, it's one of the decisions, you know, one of the, the filters that we use to say, okay, is this going to help make disciples? If not, then let's not do it. And we defined what that means. A lot of what we do is an attempt to provide you guys opportunity to live it out. I mean, this building in itself, Monday, sorry, Tuesday through Saturday is a coffee house for the neighborhood of East Boston. You, you can come in here every single one of those days and meet a neighbor. You can. We, I do it every day. I, I, I love it. You can go to, you know, I'm not about East Boston. Fine, then you can go to State Street and meet people from all over the world. Like, why do we do that? Well, we talked about some of it last week, but you know one of the other reasons we do it? It's an opportunity for, we're attempting to provide opportunities for our people and other Christ followers to live it out. You don't have to go knocking on doors. You can come to a place like this. You can have all the conversations you want. You can build all the friends you want. It's here. Part of discipleship, yes, it's getting fed and it's, but in my assessment and my concerns of past experiences, church has a a strong tendency to create complacent Christ followers who join a club and stay within four walls. And I believe that the method by which Jesus made disciples was, here's some information, now go apply it. Go do it. And then they would come back and they would go how come we couldn't do this? Or why didn't that work? And then there was a little bit more teaching. And we always learn better by doing. Right off the bat, I mean, I'm just telling the story about an individual who, I mean, there's so many of these, but you could say, okay, we know we don't see a lot of Christ followers come to church at the well first. It's typically because there's not a lot of Christ followers here. So you see an individual come in and the Lord saves them and they come to faith and one of the first opportunities we can say to them is you know that you can begin sharing your faith immediately in a place like a coffee house that's non-confrontational. I do it right now. Why wait? So to make much of Jesus, to stand on and live out biblical truth, to make and equip disciples of Jesus, the fourth one is to serve and bless our community. I have this conviction, and I, not everybody agrees with this one. I got a, to a, a nice little debate with another pastor over this one. Um, I have this conviction that when you live in a city, you should go to a church that's close to your home. Right? So if you live in another neighborhood, you're going to find, eventually, if I find out, we're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to say, let me tell you the churches that you're driving past that are good Bible teaching churches where you could actually get to know your neighbors, right? 
And, and the reason that I get in debates with pastors over this is they're like, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And I'm like, it's not about people just showing up here. It's about making disciples. And if, if somebody's living in Somerville and commuting to East Boston, I know several things. One, when the snow's on the ground, they're not coming. It's too far. Any inconvenience is going to prevent them from coming. They're not going to be engaged in, in our body. They're not going to be able to get into a small group because we don't have small groups in Somerville. So now we're asking you to come out of your neighborhood twice a week at least. Then if you're going to participate in what we're doing in the community and get involved maybe in the coffee house, then we're asking you to leave your neighborhood all the time. Well, at that point, I'm just going, move to East Boston because you're here more than you're there, right? So we are here, one of the methods that the Lord gives us to make an impact and glorify Jesus is to serve and bless our community. And we do that. We want to do it more. We're always looking to do it more. Oftentimes, some people will go, well, we should do a lot more. And I'm like, great, set it up. Because I have to say no, because I'm already doing this. So what are you, are you going to do this? Are you going to lead this? Are you going to get the people mobilized? Like, go. Do it. Great. Serve your community. I mean, of recent, we've had some pretty amazing stuff. There's a Girl Scout troop that meets in here, right, that was started out of somebody out of this church. It's the, first, it's the only Girl Scout troop, as far as I'm aware of, in East Boston. What is the purpose of that? Bless the community. There's organizations. I mean, one of the reasons the Coffee House is constantly sending money to other local nonprofits is because we're wanting to build relationships with people who are, who are also doing good in the city. You can get involved with them. There's, there's, more, <laughs> there's more to do in just East Boston than we have people and resources to accomplish. But one of our convictions is to bless the community. And the last one, to partner with and plant like-minded churches. Um, we're part of two networks, good, bad, and different, okay? So send network Acts 29. Those two networks are an intentional connection with other like-minded churches who desire to do similar things. Why? Why? Why do it? Because, one, it holds me accountable. It puts me in a brotherhood of other pastors who have the same convictions and want to see the city reached for Jesus. But two, this is a small church. Every time I go speak somewhere, it, it, it never fails. Every time I go speak somewhere, we speak about what Church at the Well is doing in East Boston. We speak about the coffee houses that have opened. We speak about the other plants that we've planted. And everybody then says, we want to come to Boston. And they come and see, and they're like, this is, there's like 50 people here. How is all of this getting accomplished by 50 people? We're, we're a small church. Deacon Ben once, when he was preaching, was like, we're this scrappy church in East Boston. It's like we've held on to that distinction because I think that's accurate. It's, a, it, it, it's not this massive church, but what you guys don't understand is the influence that you have from this little tiny church in East Boston. Like, every time you 
give, for example, you're actually not just giving to Church at the Well, you give to churches all over the country and all over the world. We have very specific partnerships where we've said, we, we have partners in Spain, we have uh, partners in Antalya, Turkey, we have, like, there are intentional relationships that we've made so that you have opportunity to be a part of something bigger than just what you see in East Boston. That's important to us. And then why church plant? Because I think church planting is the best way to reach people. I mean, you know, one of the issues with planting in the city of Boston is, and it's practical, it's space. There's only so many people that can fit into this building. And frankly, this is the largest building I could find in East Boston. Like, this is it. Our capacity is what? I'm going to lie if I say it. So it's not very much. I'm bad with numbers. I, I'm told all the time I make them up, so I just don't say them anymore. Our capacity is small. Right? We, we're constantly sending people out today. Today, after service, we're going to be praying over a family that I consider one of our OG families, right, who's moving to Florida. We're sending people out all the time. There's, we, there's been two other church plants that we've participated in, and we've sent tons of people that way. I remember when we helped plant the one in Winthrop, we were a church of like 40 people and sent like 20 We're never going to be this huge, massive church where people walk in and go, oh, wow. Right? But you realize that one man changed the world, and he had a small contingency of of men who changed the world. It doesn't have to be big. It's not about the size. It's about the conviction. You know, it's cliche to say one person can make a difference, but one gospel convicted individual? You change everything. So we we plant churches because I, I I'm just gonna somebody in here is supposed to plant the church. Actually somebody in here is, right? So somebody's supposed to. Some of you are supposed to come in here and suck everything that we can give you out and serve with us and then go and do it somewhere else. And that, to us, is a victory. In fact, if you stay here, if you're staying here too long and you're not, like, getting more and more involved and you're not being trained or coming into leadership positions, because we obviously need people to stay. I'm not asking everybody to leave. (laughs) Somebody's got to stay and help us, right? But if you've been here like a really long time and it's just the same old thing, I would say there's something missing. Like, either I'm just not, I'm not explaining it to you well enough or you're not, you're not hearing the Holy Spirit's convictions in your life. We want to plant more churches. We want to partner with churches that are like-minded. What is like-minded? Are they preaching the gospel? Is it about Jesus? I mean, are, are, are they standing on biblical truth? 
You see, even with the planters that we connect with, our convictions as a church help us guide whether we say yes or no. I will tell you right now, we're a part of one network where there's, well, this is dangerous, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are like churches within that network, within our city, that I would say, I don't, no, don't go. Don't go to that church. Like, there's, there's some compromises going on there. Their doctrines are kind of wacky or the gospel's not the center or Jesus is definitely not the center, right? There's a lot of like huge modern churches right now that you probably listen to their music and have influenced you and you've heard their teachings and you have, if you were to go to their church and sit in their teaching, you would be like, What? What do you mean? That, that's not biblical. At least I hope you would say that. We're constantly bombarded with the greatest lies have the most truth in them. That was the beginning of the fall, right? So I'll read these one more time and I'll be done to make much of Jesus, to stand on and live out biblical truth, to make and equip disciples of Jesus, to serve and bless our community, to partner with and plant like-minded churches. This is the heartbeat of Church at the Well. This is it. This is what everything gets filtered through. Do we pick up other stuff along the way? Yeah, why? Because we forget to apply the filter. It's human. But we go back to, this is the filter by which everything's going to get pushed through. And that helps us to say yes, and it helps us to say no, and this is the kicker right here. You're invited into it. And here's the thing. I don't care if you, if these are your convictions, I don't care if you do them here or elsewhere. All I'm asking you, and I'll beg you and implore you, please do them. Please. I don't care if you follow Paul or Apollos, as long as it's truth, as long as it's about Jesus, just do it. The only thing that's going to stop this is people sitting on their hands. That's it. Or us abandoning these types of things and just adding more and more stuff instead of just being good at what we do. So, a couple of challenges for you. One, if you're here today and all of this may be new, and you're like, what in the world is happening? Like, I, I don't even, like, conviction? I don't even know what that means. I, maybe you're in a position where you just need to first come to Christ, right? Like, you need to know Jesus. Well, you can do that today. There, there's a ton of people in this room who would love to sit down with you and answer your questions and talk to you. I'll encourage you. It doesn't, don't come to me. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can you help me? Like, step out in faith. One of the, the most beautiful convictions that we'll get is when the Holy Spirit begins to shine the light of Jesus into dark hearts. Act on it. For the rest of you, I know that what I've presented over these last three weeks is who Church at the Well is and what we're attempting to do. And I, I want to, I like, put the little, like, 
I don't know, asterisk next to this and say two things. One, I, your elders can't do it all, right? So that's impossible. And two, we are inviting you into this. This isn't a place, if you're desiring to just come here long-term and sit in the corner, I mean, you're welcome to do that, but I'm just going to tell you it's going to get more and more uncomfortable. And it should. Um, We've been sent here along with other planters to see revival in Boston. I have a desire to see Boston go from one of the least from one of the least evangelized cities to the greatest sending city that we've ever seen. And that's possible. And it's not going to happen by Church at the Well East Boston. It's going to happen as you guys and others that the Lord convicts their hearts to come and plant other Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches work together in the vision that they've been given. And we're going to get to see the Lord do things that you can't possibly imagine. So, from a practical side, just a few questions. What's your convictions? How do they, how do they compare to the convictions that we just went over? Are they biblical are they about you? Are they about Jesus? Are they grounded in truth? Are they grounded in compromise? Think about your, forget the week. Think about your last month. What has been the focus? What have you put most of your action into? Be real with yourself. And then, is that what you want your convictions to be? Uh, pray. Is that what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do? Are you, are you distracted? Have you picked up too much stuff? Are you too busy? And then lastly, what needs to change? Like, make the commitment. Um, you can do that a bunch of, you can tell somebody, I always say, if you're going to make a change in your life, you should probably tell somebody that you're going to make it. Because there's a huge disconnect between the altar and that door. It is often that we will say, I'm going to do something different while we sit here, and then as soon as we walk outside, the chaos of what you hear right now distracts us from doing it. So the only way to keep doing it is to have people around us that are holding us accountable to what we say. Tell somebody. What, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart, but what needs to change? What do you need to do different? How do you live out your convictions? Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I, uh, I know that in most of these cases, I just, these are my words attempting to explain your words, and your words do it so much better. Um, I want to pray anyone in this, for anyone in this room right now who has never, who has never given their life to Jesus. Lord, I, I ask that right now you would remove the heart of stone that they have and give them a heart of flesh, that your light would pierce that dark heart. Lord, and that, that conviction of who you are would change them and give them courage and boldness to, to hear. Lord, I, 
I beg you that there's not a single person in this room that would leave today not knowing that they're reconciled to their creator and that Jesus is the only way. And Lord, for your church, I want to pray specifically for Church at the Well in East Boston, for Church at the Well Everett, for other church planters who are coming into our neighborhood and around Boston, Lord, would you unite your church together in the vision that you've given as we each play our part to see the gospel furthered in this city. And Lord, remind us that it's not about the organization that we're a part of, but we make up that organization. Because we can... We can talk about these convictions all day, Lord, but unless they lead to action, they're not true convictions. So give us wisdom to use the filter that you've given us. Give us wisdom to say yes to the things that we need to, to say no to the things that we need to, to remove things in our life that would distract us. And Lord, don't let anyone in here allow better to rob us of best. And Lord, if we need to be pruned, I pray, prune us. Lord, we just, we desire to see Jesus made famous. And Lord, thank you for allowing us to participate in that. So whatever you're doing in this room right now, I pray that what's of me would be forgotten, what's of your spirit would convict our hearts and cause action. In Jesus' name, amen.